do, do you ever feel limited by your age? <laughs> by how old you are? Maybe you feel too old to do certain things, like maybe you used to be able to sneeze without pulling a muscle in your back, and, and now that tends to happen occasionally. Uh, that's, that's one of mine that I'm like, really? Like I'm bracing for the sneeze. Like, am I going to pull a muscle this time, right? Got to do my yoga, got to stretch. Maybe, uh, maybe you feel too young for some things, like uh, a place you want to get to in your career, you know, or if, if you're a kid, too young, too, too, too small to reach the, the cookies on the shelf, right? Or maybe you're a teenager, which our, our teenagers are upstairs right now, but uh, too, too young to, to do the types of things you want to do, like maybe go to the club or buy a lottery ticket or something like that. Could buy a gun, though, probably. Yeah. Not talking about guns this morning, by the way. Uh, Benjamin, my son, he's eight, and uh, I remember this time as I was thinking about this question, when we were driving to the airport and uh, the air conditioning was on, and uh, I, think, I think it was kind of cold for him, and it was really hot outside, and this is a few years ago, so he's eight now, so he's probably about five at the time, uh, and, and he was really mad because I was like, I'm not gonna change it just for you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep the, the temperature so that everybody can feel comfortable and he said, well, you know what? When I get older, I'm going to do the AC however I want to. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn it down. And he was saying all that kind of thing. And I was like, that's great, Benjamin. I'm, I, I hope that you do that. I hope that you put the AC like you want it to. But you might have some other things to worry about, like taxes. And he's like, what? It's taxes. And I'm like, well, you'll find out. And when you do, the air conditioning thing won't seem as important. <laughs> I know, man. I, I'm fully channeling the, the dad jokes. I'm just waiting for my, my, my really comfortable new balances to like, and my braided leather belt, and then the, the transition will be fully complete. Um, in, in every culture, different age groups, they have different responsibilities and different expectations of them. In, in our culture, we, we've kind of lost some of those things in, in that there are certain brackets of our, our age groups that sub, sometimes subtly, sometimes explicitly, we're like, you're not really ready to contribute to society yet. You're not really ready to play a meaningful role yet. Like, like being a teenager, like being a teenager seems really terrible to me thinking about it as a 40-year-old or almost 40-year-old this year. Um, it's like you're in this waiting room, you know, and you're like, you feel you're like taller than some of your parents at that point. Benjamin's definitely gonna be taller than me at that point. And, you know, you feel like you've got some agency and you could do something, but everybody's kind of like, wait, wait. You gotta wait, and then you're gonna go to college and you're gonna wait some more. And then like old, older folks, like, in, you know, getting up in the 70s and stuff, it's just like, where are they? What, why, are, why are they not a part of and contributing in, in, in the normal ways that we see everybody else in, in our culture? What, why aren't they our sages and, and the dispensers of the wisdom of a lifetime? It, it seems like 
they're relegated off to the side at the point in life when they have the most to offer and to, to give us. When I was looking at this passage this year, I was struck by the attention paid by the Spirit of God, by the narrative of what happened to the uses and the contributions of people of, in all age groups, in, in all stages of life. And I think there's something really powerful here that can inspire and encourage us, no matter where we are in life, not just age-wise, but our experiences, uh, what, what we feel like inhibits our growth and our possibilities for the future and what we feel are our strengths. What all the things that we bring to the table that make us, us, it seems to me as I was looking at this passage and I feel like this is what God was bringing to mind for me to share with you this morning is that as we think about and as we come together as a community that there are dreams and visions and prophetic words that can take place in our community that are not, those things are not inhibited by our stage in life. That, that they're actually accented by and made more potent and more powerful by whatever life experiences you bring to the table anytime you come and you gather together with other believers. And that's, that's one of the things that I think it's been on a lot of our minds. Like what, what is the benefit of gathering through COVID? What is the benefit of being all together, whether it's at a sporting event or a concert or a worship service or a dinner party, that what, what do we get out of that as human beings? What, what parts of those are necessary and what, what parts of those can be farmed out to podcasts and YouTube and things like that as human beings saturated with ways to interact with each other. So when I started in this passage, that's what I was struck by just reading the very first verse here. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And so I'm thinking, well, why did this group of people come together? It tells us back in the previous chapter of Acts in verses, uh, in, in chapter one, verse eight and four, four and eight. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, him being, he being Jesus, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this group of people who had become disciples of Jesus, they were waiting together in this place. They were waiting for something that was promised, a gift, a gift from God, the heavenly father that Jesus was referring to in the passage. So they, they weren't waiting that long. They were waiting for a very specific purpose, and once that purpose came about, then they would have to figure out what the next steps were after that. And this isn't a sermon about trying to recreate Acts chapter two in our congregation. Uh, in fact, uh, have you ever been a part of something where you, you did this thing and it went really well and somebody said, maybe it was you said, we should do this every week. 
And then you try to like go about, start doing it every week, and by the third time, everybody kind of trails off, and it's like, oh, I gotta, um, I gotta water my dog today, so I can't come, right? So we're not trying to recreate a kind of once in a lifetime experience. But have you, have you ever gotten to the point where in terms of like gathering and doing things, you've gotten to the point where you've done something for so long, one day you get up to do that thing and you realize, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I, I don't know why this is important to me. And I think for, for a lot of us, we, we had two years of quite a bit of quarantining to think about that question. And some people thought about uh, church that way. Some people thought about other, a lot of jobs, like the people shifting and leaving jobs. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable and, and trying new things uh, because we had so much time to reflect by ourselves. And so I was thinking about that question. There was... Uh, somebody who asked me that last year that was soul-searching specifically about church. Like, what's the, what's the Sunday gathering for? Because I can go, I can listen to podcasts of any famous preacher throughout the country, and you're, you're, you're good, Jamin, but you're, you're not that good, right? So I, 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 can, I can play worship music at my house. I can, like, meet together with my small group uh, of friends that are all going to various different churches, Right, so what, what's it for? Uh, we did a, a liturgist training not long ago. The liturgist is the role that, that Kara Best is doing this morning, and she's helping guide and lead the service through the various uh, readings and calls and response and announcements and things like that. And I had that question in the liturgist training for us. What is the church gathering for? And I want to read to you the answer that we had in, in the packet here. It's on the screen, too. It's a space for people to have encounters with God through creative and communal action that support them in living as disciples of Jesus Christ. That it's a space for people to have encounters with God through creative and communal action that support them in living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So when we, when we come to this space, that is actually our goal, to come with a posture and an expectation that we could have an encounter with God, not by ourselves with a podcast or a Bible or some other inspirational book, but actually all together where there can be a creative response that we don't know what will happen ahead of time. We don't know how God might move or work ahead of time, but we come with some expectation that something like that can happen and that that supports us in living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. What's struck me in this passage in Acts is that all of the things that happened needed to happen as a community. Most of the things in the passage wouldn't have even made sense if it wasn't a group of people that were gathered together with an expectation that God was going to do something and that God was going to offer gifts to that community of people, no matter what stage of life, no matter if they were Cretans or Arabs <laughs> or, or uh, Phrygians, <laughs> um, 
that God would move in their midst and that those differences and diversities would actually be a huge advantage to what God might have to say and do and to give them. So here's what happens in in verse two. They're there, they're all together. And then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is a familiar story for anyone who's grown up in church and maybe even people who haven't. Uh, But I, I think it has incredible implications, not just for the ancient church at that time. It was kind of like one of the birth moments of the church right there. But I think it has incredible implications for us today, for each one of us in this room right here and all of the other people that call Christ City their church home and those people that will in the future. So I just wanna give you a little bit of context so you have an idea of why it was so important what was happening and when it was happening for these early followers of Jesus. So first, it's on this day called Pentecost. And if any of you uh, did your etymology classes with your Latin and your Greek and stuff, you know that, uh, that penta comes from the word that means 50. And so this is counting off 50 days from the, the initial harvest that would happen in the festival of weeks, which was one of the Old Testament ways that the Israelites organized their calendar. And um, on top of that, this later, this time of Pentecost came to be associated with the giving of the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai. So th- these are incredibly significant moments and maybe for, for many Jews, the only other moment as significant as the giving of the 10 commandments would probably be the Passover. And so this was a time when the reason why we see so many different people are present, that are close by, that are around, that are Jewish by religion or conversion or by through a diaspora, but they've, they've gathered back together here is because they're there to celebrate the Pentecost, the time when the law of Moses was given and to remember and to reflect and to worship and to sacrifice and do all these kinds of things. So when they're there for this, the giving of the law, the giving of the law which teaches us how to live. It taught the Jewish people how to live, given from God. When they come there to celebrate that, then the Spirit of God shows up. The Spirit of God shows up and reorients what this time was about. And for many of those Jewish people, it would have reminded them of some of these scriptures where where it was prophesied that something like this one day would happen. In Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel writes of this time where it said, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. So along with this festival of 
uh, the, the sheaves of, of the first fruits that people are bringing in and the 10 commandments, there's this connection being made for the Jewish people. Maybe this is the time that Ezekiel was talking about. And maybe these are in a sense, the first fruits of God of giving of the spirit after the coming of the Messiah. And, and on top of that, we see in this passage, God showing up through very familiar means to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people through wind and fire. Wind in the Hebrew, ruach, actually was also used to describe and to mean spirit and to mean breath, wind, breath, and spirit. And we see this wind breaking in, coming through. In the Greek, the same thing, pneuma. The word pneuma in the Greek would double for spirit and for wind and, and for breath in different ways. And then we see fire, tongues of fire. And God showing up in tongues of, in, in fire was a theme throughout this import, most important of events in the book of Exodus, through the burning bush, through the pillar of fire, and through a consuming fire on Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. Not only that, but the tabernacle where the presence of God was to dwell, where only Moses and a high priest could go into the holiest of holies, there was a fire that would sometimes come and reside over this tabernacle, this temple of God. So the fire here is not located with limited access to only one person or a specific priest for a certain time of year that had gone through a lot of ritual purification and things like that. But the fire actually spreads apart and separates. And it, and it hovers over the heads of all who were there, every one of them. So there didn't have to be a single Moses-like character. There wasn't a theocracy. There wasn't a, a person who was only able to then come down from the mountain and tell people what God said and that people would be so afraid they would say, don't, don't let us hear from God. You go hear from God and you tell us. But these tongues of fire separated and floated over the heads of each person there. So they were there together as a community, but at the same time, at the same time, they were individually impacted by the presence of the Spirit of God. So they were individuals and they were a community all at the same time. We often speak of this at Christ City of having relationship with yourself, with others, and with God. And this is all happening in this moment here. This is an extremely important and significant event, not just for them right now, because I think, I think some of us, we still have a mentality sometimes that we have to wait for a Moses to come down from the mountain before we can hear anything from God. Maybe it's a preacher, maybe it's a certain author that you like, and you've begun subtly, maybe not so subtly, but one day you wake up and you're no longer thinking that I can experience the Spirit of God for myself, that God could speak in and through me in a communal way, in an individual and communal way, and I've now relegated that task to someone else. Or maybe, maybe 
it's a little bit different than that. Maybe we've come to see, and probably uh, if you're here in the building, this is probably not you, but maybe you've come to see that your relationship with God, your connection with God, feeling the presence of God, the spirit of God, guidance and direction for your life is found only by yourself that it's only found when you go and you get away and you read the books that you like to read and you read your Bible or you listen to your speakers on your podcast and that receiving from God has become a strictly individual event for you. This picture that we see in Pentecost shows us how dynamically the Spirit of God works through individuals collectively coming together to hear from God individually, but that hearing from God is not just for them. It turns out it's for the other people in the community. It's that we have something to give one another that the Spirit of God can facilitate through us. Yeah, you can say amen, even if there's only five people, we can, we can still say amen, we can still have church this morning. This was a time where people from all over the world came together and they heard from a bunch of Galileans with their, their, their uh, rule drawl speaking their language and they, and they were blown away. They're like, what, what does this even mean? What is happening here? They were praising God. There was a large diversity of cultures, of ideas expressed uh, through these languages, all praising from God. It, it was in, in, in some ways, it was a reversal of this very well-known story in the book of Genesis the Tower of Babel, where all the people spoke one language and they came together and they used their unity of culture, their monoculturalness to build something that would make themselves great. And in the story, God scatters them and gives them multiple languages. And here we see a regrouping and a regathering of people of all different languages, of of, of all different cultures, of all different perspectives. And God does not then unify their languages, but instead speaks to each of them through their diversity, through all of the experiences, the life experiences, and their, the nuances of, of what their languages mean and their cultures mean, praising God and speaking to all of them. Unity through incredible diversity. None of this could have happened if everybody sat their butts at home and read their Bibles. Just couldn't happen. So this happens. People don't really understand what's going on. And Peter gets up and he starts to interpret. And, and he, he does something that must have made this poor minor prophet so happy. Joel. Who, who, whoever hears about Joel? Joel, Joel was relegated to the dusty parts, the dusty corners of the synagogue until Peter brought him out, said, this reminds me of what Joel spoke about. And so he starts to quote Joel and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Pouring out of the spirit. This is a democratic 
outpouring of the Spirit of God. This is not given to only certain and special people with certain types of education or certain economic brackets or certain genders or even certain sexual orientations or even certain ethnicities. This is a generous outpouring of the Spirit of God, not just for one group. This is not a one-time thing to memorialize. I said, we're not trying to recreate it, but it's also not a one-time thing to memorialize because what was becoming evident here is that the community of believers coming together could make dramatic and sweeping differences in the world when they come together expectant to hear from God in order to bless and to encourage and to give vision and dreams to one another. It's also not about speaking in tongues. It's not about speaking in a way that somebody doesn't understand. Now, I've had a varied and vast experience in Christianity, and I've spoken in tongues, and I've prayed with people who've spoken in tongues, and I've seen fruit come from that. Hadn't done it lately, not in a really long time. I've come close when I've been really upset uh, in my house with my kids and stuff, and I've just like not had the right words. Like I'm about to start speaking in tongues here. But it is about God communicating in the ways that people needed to hear it. And it goes on. It is extremely telling as we spend these next few minutes here before I, I, give, you, I give you an opportunity to respond to this, who these people are that are the spirit of God's being poured out onto in this passage in Joel, that that Peter realizes this is what's going on. This is what's happening. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's the first part. Prophesy is this kind of term that it can include talking about the future, but more often than not, it's telling truths about a reality that's difficult to understand and interpret. It's speaking a word that, that isn't out of fear and it isn't out of manipulation, but it has this weight to it that interprets and makes sense of the world or the, what the community is experiencing that God gives a person or an individual to share. It grounds us into a deeper sense of reality. This, in fact, is what Peter is doing as he says these words. I've, I've seen, I've watched this take place a number of times. I've been able to experience this. I remember in, my, in the house church I was a part of in, in Hickory Hill, the pastor, Pastor Riley's sister, she was known to have prophetic words and she was there one day and there happened to be some of my neighbors with me and there was a girl named Venetia there. And Venetia, I almost had never seen Venetia talk. She played basketball for Lester and... Um, she was real quiet around me. And uh, so I, I didn't know much about her. But she was there with her, with her siblings and her mom and maybe some other folks I can't quite remember. But um, when Pastor Riley's sister got up, she said, I've got some prophetic words to give some people. And he looked right, she looked right at Venetia, and Venetia had never been to this church before. And she said, God's telling me you need to be quiet in school. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, you're talking too much in school and the teachers are frustrated with you and you need to be quiet. 
And that girl was like, oh my gosh, you know, she was totally freaked out. Uh, there was a time when a little bit later when we had a house church and Becky and I were trying to get pregnant, to, con- to conceive. And we had been to the doctor and the doctor told us, you're not gonna be able to conceive without intervention, without some, some different interventions and that kind of thing. It's not possible. And uh, this girl came to our house church and she said she wanted to pray for us. And she prayed for us this incredibly prophetic and telling prayer that there was a well that was dry and it was about, and we needed to check the well again and that the well was gonna produce water. And we got pregnant a little bit after that. And when we timed it back, it happened right after that. Right after that, that right after that prophetic word to us. Um, I don't mean to scare you all about this. This has, I haven't. This hasn't happened recently, but there there was uh, a time where somebody was taking communion, and the relationship that they were in was harmful to them. And when they went up to take communion, I saw for one second a snap of that relationship. And so I talked to her uh, with, with my wife afterwards, and I said, hey, what's going on with this person that you're dating? And oh, here it comes, it all just spills out. Uh, I'm like, she's like, God told on me? I said, yeah, pretty much. That's what happened. And I've seen more than one person talking with them, the beginning of the conversation, they're an agnostic They're an atheist. By the end of the conversation, they're saying, I would like to pray to receive Jesus as my savior. So when I think of prophecy, I think of of things like this, the prophetic word, giving us divine understanding into why some of the things around us are happening. Uh, it's 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 a deeper sense of knowing. It transcends just mere logic. You can't just figure these things out with logic. Like it's not just insight. It's not just feeling. It's beyond just a rational sort of conclusion you can come to. We know when this is happening among us because it doesn't fulfill our desires. It doesn't just ease our fears or give us self-gratification. There's sort of this neutralness to it. It's like standing on a really solid rock when somebody has a prophetic word to give. It's a responsibility that we have as a community to ask for those things in order to give those things to one another, to help interpret what is happening in our midst and our lives. It's not not my job. As the pastor, as a primary preacher, it's not my job to give our congregation everything that they need to hear from God. It's everybody's. It's a responsibility to the community and to God. And I think it's a responsibility that we can, we can grow in as a congregation and, and really get a lot from. Hey, I wanna show you this just real quick. This idea of, of responsibility, there's, there's two ways. Just, just want this to be clear. You can have responsibility for somebody And you have to do that for children. You have to be responsible for them or somebody who maybe has dementia or something like that. But what goes wrong sometimes is when we take responsibility for people who need to be responsible for themselves, right? Where we, it's actually out of our need that we wanna take responsibility for other people 
It actually fulfills something for us. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these gifts. But we can be responsible too, which means, which means we show up. It means we show up with our experiences, with our feelings, with our dreams, with our desires, and we don't just let somebody else take up that space and do that work, and we just sit on the sidelines. This is when there's a story where Paul confronts Peter, where Peter started relegating his responsibility. God had given him a vision to eat with people who, as a good Jewish boy, he would have never eaten with. And God gave him this vision, hey, you can eat all this stuff and, and all this. It's like this weird dream where the sheet comes down, all, there's all these animals. And do you know God doesn't like lizards because he says there's lizards in there and he says, kill them, eat them, right? I didn't, I didn't know that. But, but uh, Peter ends up going back and he stops eating with Gentiles and, and Paul comes up and he gives this prophetic word and he says, hey, man, you're, you're, you're doublespeak here. Like you're doing one thing over here and the other thing over there. Be true to who God has called you to be, what God has revealed to you. He was taking responsibility and he was asking Peter to be responsible to the community of God. When, when people who have prophetic words to give stop speaking or are silenced, that's when churches, I don't care how many people they have, how cool of programs they have, that's when they start to fall apart. That's when they start to get sick from the inside. When the people who have that gift are either silenced or they stop doing what they're responsible to do. And it's usually, the people with those gifts are usually not the ones up here. It's usually the people out there. It could be both, but it's usually the people who don't stand in the middle of the leadership power structure of the church. It's a power that comes from people who stand outside of the leadership structure, but fully into the community of the church. Because see, there's lots of people lobbing stuff out there into the world about the church, but they're not in it. Maybe they were, maybe they dabble in it sometimes, but their power is largely diminished, almost completely ineffective, because they're just shooting messages out onto Facebook and Twitter and things like that, criticizing something. The best way to criticize something is to do it from the inside with skin in the game. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'll take all the criticism in the world when it comes from this type of place because that will make a church grow and thrive and trim off the things that need to be trimmed off and grow the things that need to be grown. I got, I got too, I got, I had too much preach this morning. Yeah, I'd, I, I, I kind of knew it going in but I'm, I'm looking here, I'm looking where I wanted to go and I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it this morning. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just hit this next verse and then we're gonna, we're gonna go into the rest of our service here. Verse 18, it says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Um, servants, the NIV likes to play nice with the word servants, it's really slaves. And we don't, we don't have the same context for slavery, so they translate it that way. But the point that it would be made for the ancient people here 
is that no matter your status, you can have the spirit of God poured out on you. No matter your status in the world, your status uh, socioeconomically, if the world's culture gives you power and capital, uh, social capital, doesn't matter when it comes to the spirit of God. It says your young men will see visions. And this is, this is part of where we started. The young people, what do they have in front of them more than the rest of us do? More life, more years. What's an advantage to that? It's the ability to see and to hope for and to imagine a future that hasn't come to be yet. In fact, Almost all the 12 disciples were under 18 when Jesus called them, according to scholars, according to many scholars. It says your old men will dream dreams. What do old men do a lot? Sleep, right? So does God say you got to stay up all night and tarry and do all these things to hear? No, I'm just going to boom, put some stuff in your dreams. Because what are you good at, old men? Sleeping. Why? Because you probably had 50 years of manual labor somewhere, right? So over and over, we see visions, we see dreams, we see people who aren't getting the ability to influence things because of where they are in culture and society, and the Spirit of God is being poured out onto these folks. So here's, here's what I want us to do this morning, and this, this, this looks a lot different in, right now than it did in my imagination. But here's what I want us to do this morning. There are, there's three things here, and we briefly covered the last two. There's prophets, there's visionaries, and there's dreamers talked about here. And as we get ready to take communion, uh, there are some note cards in your, uh, in your bulletins, and there's a bunch of pens up there if you don't have one that you can walk by and get after you take communion. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to ask God to give us a vision or a dream or a prophetic word for the church, for Christ City Church. That's on one card. And on the other card, I want you to ask God to give you a vision or a dream or prophetic word for your own personal life. That's the two things, a vision or a dream or a prophetic word for our church and one for you and your intimate family circle, right? I want you to ask God for that and then write down whatever whatever comes into your imagination. You invite God to use what's in your imagination, what's already there, your experiences that you've already had, even just this week, even just yesterday, whatever's there, and ask God to give you a vision for Christ City and a vision for your own life. And don't worry about it. Just write it down. Don't worry about how it sounds or whatever. And then I want you to just bring it up here. And, and when we're singing our second song, we'll read them out loud. You can leave them anonymous. Not your personal one. You can keep your personal one with you. But the one you have for the church, bring it up. After you finish writing it, bring them up and we'll stack them right here and we'll read some of them out loud as, as we finish our worship set together to encourage one another. And then we'll share those with the folks who are not here at a later time, all right? So let's pray with expectant hearts. Mandy, you can come on up and get ready for communion and I'm gonna pray for us to be able to receive something from God right now for this community.